Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Time now for the College Football Inquirer with Dan Wetzel. I mean, this thing is with you at all times. <laughs> Pete Everyone's making business decisions here. That's all there is. It's, it's quite simple and linear. With SI's Pat Forty. Next leotard up, man. They yeah, were ready. You know? <laughs> like, here's Pat, Pete, and Dan. All right, welcome to the pod. And uh, well, 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 let's look at the bowl extravaganza standings, shall oh, we? for the love of Pete. Really? <laughs> Pete is Pete is God now. The love of Pete. <laughs> hey, I'm down, but I'm not out. <laughs> Pete is in last place. Okay, I'm fine Mr. with that. Smart, Mr. Smart, man. Yep. 15, 19 and one. Mm. Pat and Sully, 17, 17 and one. And lo and behold, first place. And the only one that matters. What's your your record? What are you, a regular season guy? I'm about the postseason. (laughs) (laughs) Well, there's a lot of players, fans, and coaches who are not about the postseason, but you go ahead. Would you rather go undefeated in the the regular season or undefeated in the playoffs? (laughs) You can be Central Michigan winning the Sun Bowl if you Uh, want. Talk about Central Michigan. Talk about Alabama. Maybe we had a setback or two. Twenty fourteen and one. What? With my absolutely ridiculous really? picks that were often based on nothing. <laughs> did you, you probably got right COVID. the game where you, you that you announced you did not care about? That one didn't get played. Oh, that's right. It didn't get played. I'm Nobody. Tr- I am somehow it. six games over five hundred. Total luck. Wow. Motivation. The motivation Olympics. I think I said on our bull pick podcast that bull picks make so little sense. That Dan Wetzel can dominate them. <laughs> That's my only accurate prediction. Uh, a master uh, of the chaos. Yeah. <laughs> I'm surprised I'm 15 and 19 because my picks were awful. Well, let me Mine. just put it this. Let me put it this way. Isn't that what we do as podcast hosts? We we pick games. Well, I don't know certainly. if changing it, expanding is going to cause anything. I really don't. I think this era of podcast hosts just doesn't love football. Oh, wait, that's Kurt Herbst. <laughs> oh, boy. Oh, boy. Isn't that what we do as football players? We compete. I don't know if changing it, expanding it is going to change anything. I really don't, Herb Street said on uh, college game day uh, last weekend, setting off a tumultuous fire. I think this era of player just doesn't love football. Desmond Howard then agreed. The whole mentality right now is about the championship, the playoff. We've got to get into the CFP because if that, that they don't value the bowl games. 
we were coming up Herb Street and myself to go to a bowl game was a huge reward for a fantastic season. That's what it meant. Uh, Herb Street later clarified that, uh, uh, of course, some players love the game the same today as ever, but some don't. I'll always love the players of this game, and sorry if people thought I generalized and lumped it. It was a good good controversy because it's fairly harmless. Uh, yeah. I thought the pile-on was a little much. I will say this. I think we will all just get this out of the way. Uh, Desmond uh, Howard and, and Kirk Herbstreet are both uh, really good guys who work hard and uh, are great for college football. And Yes. Sorry. they And very they do pro not player, hate. too. That. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, I mean, this is not. Yeah, I thought I thought the Twitter reaction and the reaction was like, oh, it's pound on them. I, okay, but they said what they said, too. It was an aggressive yeah. comment by, by Herb Street, who normally is much more measured. Yeah, but every once in a while, and look, this is part of the danger. Lo and behold, as we have done on this podcast, they stick a microphone in front of you for enough hours of a week. <laughs> Eventually, you're going to say something stupid, you know, and... Well. I actually I, liked it because it was something impassioned. My problem yeah. with a lot of college football coverage on ESPN is it's formulaic. Right. It's overproduced. It's not interesting. Right. I, I like the people involved, but it's like designed to be vanilla. And sure. one of the reasons Feinbaum found kind of this oddball home on it is because he just says stuff. And True. And I, he I, has crazy people come say stuff. And it has great. Yeah, he's very good at allowing people say stuff. But you know, college football is people screaming at each other and ESPN tries to walk that line and you can make a lot of money walking that line. So, look, if if these guys don't think think that, then so be it. I disagree. I don't know. I don't know whether they love football as much. They might not. I really have no. That's a hard one to quantify. Um, but the bowl opt outs and the lack of the bowl, I just think it's a terrible way to try to figure that out. Uh, and and to not mention Brian Kelly bailed on his team while they still could have made the playoffs and Lincoln Riley bailed on all these guys bailed on bowl games and not bring up, look, the bowl games just don't matter that much to anybody is uh, I think was there was their mistake on that. But what'd you think of the, uh, the kerfuffle? Yeah, I, I wrote about it Saturday night. I really didn't intend to write about it because I thought kind of like you, Dan, that there, that there was such a kind of almost an overreaction during the day. But when I saw Matt Corral got hurt, uh, uh, Saturday night in the Sugar Bowl, and he comes out on crutches. I was like, okay, I think I think there's a column that on the same day that that Kirk Herbstreit and Desmond Howard kind of decried today's players not playing in bowl games. Matt Corral showed why there's a good reason players don't play in bowl games. Now, I think I think Matt Corral is going to be fine. I don't think his uh, pro stock is probably going to be affected. He should be. Whatever the injury is, and we usually never know for sure, but it, 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 x-rays were negative. If it's something that he will be able to rehab and be able to perform at a pro day, at a scouting combine, whatever he needs to do. Uh, but that injury, you, you watch that play, okay, yeah, could have could have been worse. Uh, and you watch what happened to Jalen Smith for Notre Dame in the Fiesta Bowl five, six years ago, and Jake Butt, what happened to him in the Orange Bowl. And there are reasons that players don't want to play in games that aren't absolutely materially vital to their season's success. And it doesn't mean they don't love football. And it doesn't mean they're entitled. Uh, and I, I, I will say, I like Kirk. I like Desmond. I like those guys a lot. And I don't want it just to be a bashathon of them because they certainly are not the only people that have an opinion that players need to play in bowl games or else they're, you know, not grateful to their teammates or whatever. I, you know, I've, I've swung around on this and I think it'd be great if they all did play. 
But if, I certainly respect and understand the guys that don't want to play. And I've come around on this since the Christian McCaffrey days when I had a harder time understanding it. But the coaches and the programs made have made it very clear for the last decade or so that the bowl games are of secondary importance by what they do with hirings and firings. And especially that is only accelerated now to the point where you know, the firings are earlier and earlier because we've got to get ready for the December signing day. We've got to have a class, that sort of thing. And so the coaches leave earlier and earlier. Things get decided earlier and coaches leave and you get a Valero Alamo Bowl between a good Oregon team that had a good season and a good Oklahoma team that had a good season and both coaches are gone. And the players are looking at that saying, well, okay, why do I have to put it on the line here when I'm worried and I've got an agent talking to me and I've got an advisor and I've got my mom and dad saying, don't get hurt, you know? Uh, so I, I just, I can't, I really cannot blame players for sitting out any games that are non-playoff games. The business has changed. And all that we've seen is the players getting wise to the business, right? Yeah. Lincoln Riley went and got his, Brian Kelly went and got his, and... All these players who are headed to the draft, they're just ready to go get there. Like they they have followed the example set to them by the coaches and the leaders in the sport. You know, if you look back from Herb Street's time to, to now and Desmond Howard's time to now, ESPN has went and got theirs too. They've doubled the inventory of bowls and they make a lot of money off it. So everyone's making business decisions here. That's all there is. It's it's quite simple and linear. I certainly have no problem with the with the players making uh, making the, the the business decisions that they that they did and uh, didn't from the from the start because look people are still watching the games are entertaining everybody's getting what they want out of this the system isn't radically different now was there are there less people who care about the Peach Bowl because Kenneth Walker and Kenny Pickett aren't there sure and that's the Peach Bowl's fault and that's the the commissioner's fault for not looping that showcase in to matter more where those guys would have definitely played. Again, you're not going to expand the playoff and end opt-outs, but if you expand the playoff, you make the postseason more vibrant and relevant for longer. And it matters more and more places, like we talked about in the last pod, and that's what really helps the sport. Like you get kids in, well, the kids in Michigan were going to watch the playoff anyway because they were there, but you're just going to get kids in Utah now. Man, that was the playoff year. Like it's just going to matter so much more in so many more different places and you assume that the commissioners are too tethered to the bowls, so those bowls are going to matter more. Those showcases are going to matter more, and everybody's going to make more money. It's just this is this is where we've gone, and the players honestly probably caught on too late to this. Yeah, and you know this whole so this is like multiple things. Obviously, you got the coaches leaving. You cannot, you know, the the, the NCAA and, and college football putting the signing day early. All these things have created parts that have that have wrecked the bowls. Uh, in terms of importance of like, I, I've got to win this game. But when you come to the pro players, it's a different era on how you get to the NFL than when you're Desmond Howard, uh, Desmond Howard's, although it didn't really matter with Desmond Howard. He was, I think, the fourth pick overall in 92. But back then, um, Herb Street was not an NFL prospect, but whatever the guys were, the players were, it's a different time. Football's different. Okay, back in football in the December of like 1991, I am sure they were running uh, Oklahoma drills every day during bowl practice. Full padded, 15 days, killing each other, the whole thing, right? Coaches didn't have to care about like health and all the different things that we've learned about football and maybe there's a better way. It, it was just a totally different era. And I know it's hard when, uh, and look, I mean, we're closer to, 
So these guys age. It's when you get older, it's hard to realize you're the old guy, right? <laughs> yeah. But like 1991 or two is a long time ago, and that's when these guys played. And so that that's how you prepare. Well, you got to get good film on your bowl game, and maybe that'll help you get drafted higher. The NFL is completely different now. They want to know how you do at the combine. They want to know how you do at your pro day. They want to know if you're healthy. They want to look at the the metrics. That's the stuff that matters. You can mock it, call it the underwear Olympics, make fun of the combine stupid. I can, it doesn't matter. It, it, it You can think it's stupid, but that's like people who sit around and go, oh, signing day is dumb. Recruiting's dumb. Why are you paying so much attention with some 17-year-old that hasn't proven anything yet? Thanks. I'll tell you why. He's the Brex Bryce Young. <laughs> okay. Don't worry. He will. All right. Like, it's different. So if you want to get drafted, what you do in a bowl game matters much less than what you do in uh, the run-up to that draft. Your pro day, your your fitness level, getting the understanding now that maybe I can get better for the NFL with a personal trainer and these systems they have set up are, 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 are very modernized and specific than just having Bo Schembeck or yell at me and tell me to put my <laughs> hand in the dirt. Yeah, right. And so this is a the business change, the NFL change. They don't care whether you play in this game. Jamar Chase missed the whole season. You think anyone cares right now? Yeah, no. Right? I mean, he he opted out of an entire season at LSU. He's he, he, he's potentially it's him or Mac Jones for rookie of the year, offensive rookie of the year. Micah Parsons sat out a season. Yeah. Sure. Think did. anyone I'll cares? Bring him up. Yeah. Micah Parsons and Jamar. Neither guy played. They're the best rookies in the league. It's a different time. And so you can't just put it all on the bowl or the kids. They're in a different era. And the same thing with the understanding of the business, as Pete said, like for a long time, you know, it's, oh, we get this, uh, you get a swag bag. If you go to a bowl game, you know, you get a play, you get a t-shirt and you get a Xbox year, yeah, yeah, iPod, you know, all these yeah, $250 of the stuff. Those are trinkets, dude. Millions and millions of dollars are being made on this bowl game, and we're giving you're getting 250 bucks, but you're expected to take it. Well, once people started getting educated on what a bowl game really is and how big of a business it is, they started looking at it and going, wait, what? So I just think it's a whole different time. And and you can't expect the players to sit there and think. Oh, this one aspect of football is unchanged when everything else has been changed. Right. No, the, the, that's that's the thing is I and to Pete said, Pete said that maybe they're a little even late to understand. But that that is the case is that it took until, you know, the last decade for I think for people to realize a the money, but b where the players stood in terms of of access to any of that money. And it just, I think more people looked at this and said, this is not a fair system. So why do I have to be the gladiator that goes out there and performs uh, for the audience when I'm not getting enough in return and I have to take on all the risk? And though that, you know, we've seen that snowball over the last 10 years, 15, whatever, but especially in the last five. And then I think especially with the, the, diminishment of the bowl games via coaches leaving and that sort of thing that the players have just further understood where things how this thing works and that they don't have to be just the the 
yes, sir, no, sir. I'll go along with anything you tell me, Mr. Authority figure, people in this in this game. And the people you're trying to impress don't care. They no longer right. are no, they don't care. to that same set. That's you, you can't just go. Well, you had to play in the bowl game to get drafted. Well, not now. That's not the, you don't even have to play football to get drafted. Right. I mean, like, I don't know where we're going to get, but where does somebody sit there and say, I just had a great sophomore season and I'm going to sit out my junior year like Jamar Chase did and Micah Parsons did because it didn't hurt those guys. They're the best ones. Now, is that extreme? Sure. But they did it. Now they had COVID and there were different things. But like, if you're that guy, if you're Jackson Smith in Jingba and you just set the Rose Bowl record and you look unbelievable. And you're the number one receiver coming back. He's going to be a junior, right? Do you sit out? I'm not saying he should. I'm not arguing that. Right. I would certainly want him to come back and play and say, I'm going to win Ohio State the national championship. I would value that. But he's sitting there in Columbus looking down the road in Cincinnati and saying, look at this guy. Yeah. Yeah. Look how good he is. He's fresh. He's healthy. Maybe he got better with a year of personal training. There's more than one route now. And it isn't like I'm too scared to tell Woody Hayes that I might want to leave early after three years, let alone four. And, you know, so I don't know where this is headed, but as long as the NFL has a different system, you can't expect these college players to subscribe to something three decades ago. And I I just thought that's what get, got missed. I don't think it's because these guys are evil or all this stuff. It's just yeah, it's or, how or, it was. But, man, Desmond or, Howard, you know, a guy of that talent, it really doesn't matter if he played football as last year. Yeah, the, uh, you know, that's the thing. And I, I, as with all of these situations, NIL, you name it, the slippery slope people come out and are like, oh, well, this, you know, what's next? Is it people are just going to not play? And it's like, well, that that may be the case. They, I don't it, think it, it happened. Yeah, it did. It did. But I don't think it's going to be the case. Like, I, I don't think it's going to be widespread, but there may be a guy or two that makes that decision. It's not going to ruin college football if that happens. Like if I were Ohio State, and and again, I'm not. We have no idea whether Jackson Smith and Jigba would even consider it. But this is unfair to bring him in. But you can. Well, you get but my it's point. a good example of somebody who's just metaphorical. Looked, yes. you know, him as a metaphor, not as an actual play. Right, Nick somebody Bosa who just quit played. after three games. He rehabbed. He didn't even try to come back. Yeah, right. But just play somebody who just played on an extraordinary level. You may have some people out there that are going to tell them, say, you know what? You don't have to go back and play next year at your school. You he may, does there, not there have a, to play. He's a top five pick. Right. There's nothing you're going to, especially at wide receiver. Like, it's not, I mean, what do you, I mean, it's incredible. And we saw this in basketball and it's, you know, they'll leave after, after three years and then all of a sudden you're down to high school kids. Yeah. And then they're and, going to the G and League going, That's impossible. Yeah. And then Kevin Garnett got in. And it was like, but well, it kind of looks like the rest of the players. And then Kobe and LeBron and all the others. It was just like, what are we doing here? But yeah, and, I, and maybe that's the next wall to come down in this. Claret brought it to the Supreme Court, the, the three years removed from your final high school year rule. Because there are certainly, and they're rare, but there are certainly three or four players a year. And I look, Jackson Smith and Jig was really, really good. I don't know if he's like... Just trying to think of someone who was who you were like just boy after his sophomore year. Clowney is a great example. 
Like Clowney just had no business playing yet. And to his credit, he sort of coasted through his last year. Yeah, but, he barely did um, play. <laughs> kind of hasn't played since then. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, yeah. Uh, <laughs> he's, he's, he's good. He's good. There's there's arguments. Uh, yeah. I mean, we all coasted his paycheck and his uh, yeah. his level. All right. Look, um, when, they, when the offense and defense of rookies of the year skip their junior year of college, <laughs> yeah. which is very likely unless Mac Jones wins this June, wins this thing. Uh, that is something that kids pay attention to and parents sure. pay attention to and agents and pay agents. To. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I, they're going to heads are going to spin. But those guys looked at the COVID season and it's not that I think Micah Parsons, Jamar Chase. I think Jamar Chase looked at LSU and said, I am playing for coach. This is a train wreck. I, <laughs> right. I honestly, you know, we but don't have those a two guys looked yeah. at that season and they, they, I don't think it was COVID. They were all that concerned about it. It was just like, eh. Well, the example for next draft really would be Will Anderson. At mm. Like mm. he yeah. could go be the number one pick in this current draft. Right. I don't think without, you know, without a whole lot of that. So like he would be, there are one or two every year that, uh, you know, that are just completely otherworldly um, that are able to, uh, you know, that are able to roll in and, uh, you know, and, and have that type of, immediate like Michael Mayer, probably doesn't need to come back for his junior year at Notre Dame, right? Like, I don't, again, he's a good player, has a ways to go, but I don't, you know, he, he to me is another guy that's just heads and shoulders above everybody in the sport at that, uh, at that position. Yeah, that, I will say there are some guys you can, and you can pick them out every year or most years, but I, I in general, I think the three-year college residency or non, before you're ready to go to the NFL residency is a good thing because, yeah, I just think from a physical standpoint, man, that is, it's such a vicious, brutal game. You've got to be ready physically and mentally. Uh, and there's not a lot of guys that are anything short of being 21, 22 years old. Yeah. I, I just wonder if that just starts to get challenged. Like we've seen a lot of paradigms broken here in the last, yep. Uh, yep. in the last two, two, the last three years in college sports. Like if you, if you, if you were in a time capsule from 2018, until the start of next season, you would just be like, wait, what happened? How did it go? <laughs> they still haven't figured out that Southern District of New York stuff yet. <laughs> but just when you look at this, the <laughs> the breadth of things that have changed since 2018. Yeah, it's amazing. Uh, it's, it's pretty remarkable. Well, it was uh, it's, it's, a, it's a good debate. I mean, look, I, I, I also think like the Bulls are just different. And I mean, like Matt, Matt Corral wanted to play, right? Great play have that see have that thing he gets hurt but and so that was disappointing obviously for Ole Miss fans but what was interesting was you got to watch Luke Altmaier play who's your next big thing right and maybe he's you know he obviously was not that wasn't great but you got a you got a view of him like it's just it the bowl game is just a different it's a different thing you're getting a little bit of a glimpse into next year other guys get a chance to play like in the macro nothing bad happened two teams still played. So maybe some of the best players weren't there, but guys got to play football. If that means younger players get experience, then, hey, you know, have at it. As a fan, do you want to see these, you, you want to see every game played max intensity, of course. You know, it doesn't mean that the bowl game that is lacking a lot of quality players doesn't necessarily mean it can't be good. If you're Ohio State, you got to watch Marvin Harrison Jr. step up, right? Yeah, right. He wouldn't have probably gotten on the field or not very much if Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave were in uniform. Yeah. So how excited are you for that? Now, yeah, 
oh man, I loved watching Olave, one of the greatest players we've ever had. That's great. Well, Marvin Harrison Jr. might be too. Like that was exciting. What's actually more exciting for next year? The fact that you know how good this guy is? Uh, Marvin Harrison Jr. So I went to college with Marvin Harrison Sr. Overlapped uh, one year at Syracuse. And again, he's one of the greatest receivers in the history of the NFL. He is not a physical specimen. And that's a compliment. He did all that by being six foot 185, which is, you know, a fairly pedestrian size for an NFL player. Marvin Harrison Jr. is like 6'3", 205, like just a, just a, <laughs> he is a physical specimen. And, you know, if he can, if he can come close to where his dad is, was as a technician, I feel like Marvin Harrison Sr. is one of the great technicians that we've seen at that position. Watch out, man, because those... Just I remember going to uh, Ohio State practice this summer and the physical tools and what the strength guys said about him. I mean, he's a he's a remarkable, remarkable specimen. That um, Rose Bowl was fun. It's a lot of fun. I mean, the Fiesta Bowl Rose Bowl doubleheader. That was great. You know, I imagine that game would not have been that as close. Although, really, I don't know that it mattered with the, without the opt outs, because really, like how much better was having three receivers if you've got. <laughs> I mean, like it wasn't like Ohio State. They scored forty-eight on a really good Utah defense. Yeah. What what I like, what I think the expanded thing will do, and and you know, I think Saban talked about it on Monday and brought up what I think a lot of people look. If you're only looking at the final product of like, if if the these are the best four teams and we had two blowouts basically, uh, but he says these are the best two teams. I'm not sure how adding teams helps that, um, which is true. I I don't. These are the two best teams. The pro the thing the reason why we have four is because if if it if we had had two these two teams wouldn't have played in the national championship game it would have been Alabama versus Michigan um, so and Georgia would have lost one game to you know we would have we obviously have a rematch but a lot of times the two best teams aren't the one and two seed um, but we've had two two best teams that's fine but I do think the separation is is clearly there every year there's two really good teams most of the years that's why we've had uh 13 blowouts and 16 semifinal games uh they're not always the one and two seed a lot of times they're the four seed um or we've seen you know later seeds but we've also had these other games are really good and my guess is that there's a two teams and then there's a separation and then three to 12 or at least three to eight aren't aren't that big of a separation. So you would get really good games. Like Oklahoma State, Notre Dame was a really good game. Uh, ends 37-35. There's all sorts of drama in that game. We talked about Pitt, Michigan State. If those are your quarterfinal matchups or even first-round matchups, those are very exciting games. Ohio State, sure. Utah would have been an all-time classic if something was on the line. Yeah. And so you get more excitement. And as as we said on the last one, it's really more about do we create excitement all over the country, as, Pat, uh, as uh, Pete said earlier, and help recruiting all over the country? Uh, I think when you're saving, you sit there and go, well, like, there's tons of excitement around my program all the time. I don't even think he understands <laughs> right. right, how little excitement there is in other parts of the country for college football, how little media attention there is for football yeah, um, no. and all of that. So I, I'm not really bashing his his point is both correct and I think short-sighted in the, in the global picture, but that's why he points out, I shouldn't even be having a vote on that. I don't even know what's going on. Yeah. I mean, look, well, yes, he is, he is famously in the tunnel as far as what concerns him and his football program. So he's not going to be that attuned or that, uh, concerned with what happens elsewhere. But, uh, for those, for those who, who care about something beyond their own team winning, there's, 
umpteen reasons why an expanded playoff is so much better for darn near everyone else other than the Alabamas and Georgias of the world. And so I just think we would be much, much better served by having a great first round of games on campus, some exciting quarterfinals, some blowouts. You know, yes, there would still be blowouts. And then you get down to brass tacks in the semis in the final. I, you know, I, it's win, win, win as far as I can see. It makes so much sense. And I feel like there is started to be a collective frustration from when you look at the comments of Bob Bowlesby and you look at the comments of Greg Sankey, why there doesn't seem to be a more collective embrace of the common sense. And from a consumer aspect, it's hard to find a lot of argument from a you know player safety is one of the things that gets brought up. There's about a 5% chance of playing that 17th game. I mean, it's like, it's, again, it's impossible to actually run the odds because of the variables of results, but it is very, very thin. And if some low seed did happen to make that kind of a run, you know, say like Oklahoma State made it this year as like an 11 or, or whatever, I'm, make, I'm making it up. I don't think that team going to that moment is going to have a problem playing that extra game. <laughs> like I can't, uh, you know. I can't see that. Uh, I can't see that being a huge issue. I can't see that. Ha- you know, that could happen maybe once every once every ten years, something like that. So yeah, maybe it it would be it would be pretty uh, it would be pretty rare. Um, the where where I'm sort of looking at it now is this current deal goes through 25. You know, be the postseason of 26, and it'll be really interesting if some of this filibustering, posturing, alliancing, if that can be a verb now, um, prevents <laughs> this from prevents this from happening. What does it look like? Do you, do you change? Cause that would have, you'd have to agree to a new contract. You'd have to get everybody who signed that deal to agree to whatever the next deal is. Well, the next one becomes a fresh deal with, you know, TV, multiple TV partners, it would appear. And it'd just be interesting to see if that changes, if some of the dynamics change, if they cut out um, financially smaller chunks to some of the other leagues. Like there's just, when you start a fresh format, it'll become very interesting to see how that could potentially change different options. Something has to be agreed to. This isn't just like, if we don't change it, it goes on and it just rolls on. There's no roll on. Something's got to something's got to be agreed to. And does the SEC or some some leagues just sit there and go, all right, we're good with this forever? Or do we, yeah, nobody, everybody wants multiple TV partners because it's more money and, and, and more opportunity. So I don't know. It's going to be interesting to see, but um, it, 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 it should expand. All right. I wanted to get a little bit more on the New Year's Day games, a couple different, so maybe just briefly. Two results stood out that are, you know, just games, but Kentucky completes a really great season with a victory over Iowa. Uh, Wandell Robinson, and he was a uh, all-transfer team if there ever was one. The other is Arkansas, really handed it to Penn State, uh, and they get to 9-4, and four, uh, best season since Bobby Petrino went 11-2 and two in 2011 and then wrecked his motorcycle. Um, <laughs> so... Sam Pittman, take the bus. <laughs> <laughs> uh, don't buy Coach Pittman uh, a, a Harley. Uh, the sight of seeing Pittman on a Harley would be quite the. Quite the <laughs> it would be pretty awesome. <laughs> he may have a Harley. It I doesn't see, take I'm, a lot of mental gymnastics to get to the sight of Pittman on a Harley. Let me yeah, just say it, it's a it's a very natural image. <laughs> you could buy him a hundred Harley. He's not going to turn into Bobby Petrino. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't mean to, the access to the motorcycle or the, uh, the volleyball 
uh, uh, alums uh, is not going to be an issue. Uh, I hope. I don't know. We'll see. Do what the hell you want. We need content here. Um, <laughs> just briefly on these two teams, though, uh, the SEC, you know, a lot of the SEC this year was like traditional powers that sucked, right? Florida, LSU, ten, uh, you know, Tennessee made a little bit of a comeback here, but Auburn kind of scuffled along. What do you guys think of what Kentucky and Arkansas did this year? It's kind of two great seasons that get lost in the mix. Yeah, no, I mean, I think it's great. Uh, but, and it's it shows... It's a little bit like the American Olympic system where there's just always going to be good teams in the SEC. There's always going to be the next great basketball player, swimmer, gymnast, track athlete in America. And it's the same thing for football players in the South and programs in the SEC that are going to put in all the resources and hire great coaches and do it. It's a zero-sum game, though. Yes, like Kentucky goes up, Florida goes down, Arkansas goes up, LSU goes down. You can't have... 10 super successful teams, but you can have four or five every single year. And for folks, you know, there's some folks out there that's like, well, this is just Georgia and Alabama and the rest of the league is mediocre. Well, they just, to 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 use a, a somewhat crude expression I heard from a high school coach in Indiana once, Arkansas and Kentucky joined Georgia in feeding the Big Ten and telling them it's chocolate, all right? I mean, they they absolutely <laughs> shoved it down the Big Ten's throat in some pretty big games. Uh, uh, you the, might need- the quotes of Indiana high school football coaches. <laughs> yeah. You know, <laughs> just the joy of covering a prep beat. You get some <laughs> some colloquial dude, you know, in Spencer County, who South Spencer tells you. Has that, that happened to him? Has that ever been? <laughs> well, his team was on the losing end, too, of that one. Like, yeah. Where, where uh, Pat covered high school football in Indiana was basically where Hoosiers was set. Yes. Right? Correct. Yeah. yeah. They, they, they just, like, they have a farm of, like, sticks. That farm, <laughs> that woman's farm, the a mom, stick farm, yeah, the stick yeah. farm. They just like, uh, what do you guys grow here? It's dirt, it's gray. The sun never shines. You grow sticks yeah. and mud. Yeah, and, and this those used to be corn dates. stalks over there. Corn Occasionally, that, we grow corn. Right, that's it. Okay, yeah. go ahead. I, no, <laughs> but I mean, so like. Kentucky all of a sudden rises up and has an excellent season. You know, Mark Stoops has done a great job, and, and they keep Mark Stoops as their coach after his name had been speculated about going elsewhere. They've recruited great. You get Wandale Robinson, who transfer, who leaves the state to go to Nebraska, transfers back. Uh, they did well in the transfer portal. Arkansas did well in the transfer portal in a couple of key areas last year and this year. And, I mean, it's great, I think, to see a little bit of variety within the league. Again, zero-sum games, so you're going to have some programs that are outraged and firing their coaches, but it's good that they're, to know that an Arkansas can do it again and a Kentucky can do it for basically the first time. So, you know, I, I think it's uh, a sign that while there's still Alabama and Georgia on top of those divisions, there can be a lot happening underneath them. So it's, it's instructive to look at these SEC standings right now because it's a little jarring to see LSU in last place in the West and Auburn tied for last place in the West. And then you see Ole Miss in second place in the West. You see Arkansas in, in Mississippi State tucked in the middle with, uh, with A&M. You see Florida just ahead of Vanderbilt in the East. And then you see Kentucky in second place in the, uh, in, in the East. And the, the one thing about the SEC, patience is a rumor. So 
it is not surprising that that spot with Florida, Dan Mullen's gone. That spot with LSU, Ed Orgeron was gone before uh, Columbus Day. Uh, so if you, uh, you know, like when things go out of the natural pecking order, big wholesale seismic changes come to try to do that. So all sorts of props to Arkansas and Kentucky for disrupting the natural world order. And by the way, that has been recognized and they come in now, right? Like they are, <laughs> there have been distinct programmatic changes to, to try to alter, uh, to try to alter what, uh, what, what happened. I, I'd be curious if an SEC have, and, and again, I don't think there'll be much coaching movement in the SEC next season. I mean, you know, Brian Harson would probably be the only person if I was going to do a way, way, way too early, like hot seat look at list like that would Clark Lee's going to going to need time. Shane Beamer has been good. Drinkwitz has been fine. Heupel's exceeded expectations. I mean, Sully's been in a good mood finally on the podcast after uh, <laughs> after being in the tank for two years. If if there was some movement at a higher end SEC school, why you wouldn't look at what Sam Pittman did and say, hey, that translates. He knows what he's doing. He knows how to connect with kids. He knows how to rally a program like that. I, look, he's never going to be the sexiest hire, but he was also an inordinately effective hire. Yeah, you're right, Pat, about the endless like, you know, what goes just because someone's losing and someone else is winning. Right. It's yeah. Always, always the thing. Right. It's not it's not a uh, birthright of uh you know, so tough season someplace, but it's been joyous others. The Olympics, I remember everyone wailing because Simone Biles wasn't in there. It's like worked out great for her team. Like Suni Lee worked out <laughs> terrific. She got to yeah. We just threw another one up there to win it. Next leotard up, man. They yeah, were ready. Next, you know? it's like, <laughs> I mean, they were all like, well, we're going to miss uh, Simone, but holy crap, I think I can win. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I remember I actually did a column on all of them, all the all the gymnasts in the world when she dropped out. All the other ones were like, wait a minute, this now matters. <laughs> Not going for silver. Yeah. Yeah. No. So it's it's exciting times and the ticket sales will go there and we'll see. But uh, I don't know. It's, it's interesting. See who goes. The other one was uh, Baylor beat Ole Miss uh, 21-7. Uh, incredible turnaround. 12 wins for Dave Aranda. And, and so they've got some moment. They've got some serious momentum going. Um, I thought that was a that was a huge one. Oklahoma State too put together a great season. That so here's here's my question for you guys. Cincinnati makes the playoff. Baylor has an unbelievable season. Wins the Big Twelve championship. Wins the Sugar Bowl handily. Oklahoma State was right there, a uh, six inches away from maybe going to the playoff. Beats Notre Dame in the Fiesta Bowl. I think the Big Twelve could be fine without Oklahoma and Texas. They may just not get as much money, and then eventually maybe that hurts them. But Shoot. I mean, Central Florida had a, you know, fine season, maybe not up to where they were, but but they had a good season. BYU has had two great seasons in a row. I mean, I I think that league has the nucleus of a very good league going forward. It's just a question of whether that's going to translate into media rights and revenue and all those sort of things. They will lack revenue because losing Oklahoma and Texas will hurt, no doubt. Uh, that said, they're still a pool of talented players. Yeah. They're not adding scholarships at these other schools. So there's still a bunch of kids in Texas who can't, who can't play in the sec. So they go play at Baylor and Oklahoma state because it's really good. And, and those places have invested a ton of money in their places and will continue. So the, the, the revenue thing is a factor, but as long as talent is still there, someone's got to go play somewhere. 
And if you have the right coach, the kids will flock to that that school or, or whatever. I think that's a that's a huge deal. I also think the thing about the Big 12 going forward in these next few years, it's going to be really fun because all sorts of teams can win it. You don't have that that lopsided dynamic that it's had for so many years and most leagues have. So like in a given four year period, I don't it would not surprise me if four different teams win it. Here, here's what I think is most important for the Big 12 going forward. I do think there's a lot of value and the programs they've added are certainly not going to replace, you know, what's left. But they are good programs in hotbeds and BYU has a national following. The Big 12's next television deal is going to be critical that they don't get weak need, which a lot of these presidents do, and sign up at a cut rate for 12 years. I think they go into market after 24. They need to do a short deal. And then during that period of time, really establish what this new league is going to be. They have to win some playoff bids. They have to win some playoff games. They have to be nationally relevant. They have to start playing more on Thursday and Friday. They have to embrace a little bit of like a bandit soul, kind of become like the last call, fun, free, freewheeling league, which there's always a place for, especially with gamblers. And gambling is obviously driving media more now than ever. Um, but I don't think they can sign a 12-year deal and survive at a cut rate. Like they're not going to get what they got before. Take something short, have faith in your assets to grow, and then you can really cash in. Because all these all these places are getting extended out now for pretty long periods of time. If you can be a short, if you can do a short hitch here and then set yourself up pre all these other deals, you could really be in good shape. And and let the playoff, you know, bring you in. You're gonna yeah. get a yeah. team in. Right. The yep. Big 12, you're gonna lose the Red River shootout as that guaranteed big anchor for a TV deal. But your your conference championship game now is much more valuable. I mean... The teams you brought in add their... Other than Houston, which you, you need, but the other three bring their own recruiting. Yes. You know, yeah. you're not losing anything by... Cincinnati's not going to cannibalize Kansas State's recruiting or Texas. Right. It's, it's, it's no. just different groups. So I, I, I think, it, you know, considering the absolute and understandable wailing of panic that occurred you know, the start of this season when Texas and Oklahoma were leaving. If I'm the Oklahoma, if I'm the big 12, I'm feeling about as good as I can feel right now. Sure. Came through, came through. Yeah. From what looked like a potential near death experience in July to, Hey, we're going to be pretty good. You know, coming look, look out of at it. This too. UCF won their bowl game against right. Florida. I know these are minor things, yeah. but Houston won. To fin- won. Houston finished like what? 12 and two. Yeah, 12 wins. They won their bowl game. And BYU did not. No, BYU lost to they UAB. Lost. Okay, yeah. But I mean, I was 20 and 14. <laughs> it's hard to remember. <laughs> hard to remember all my wins. Uh-huh. Uh, no, 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 no. Everybody took BYU. I, I was lone wolf on UAB on that one. Don't, uh-huh. don't give yourself credit. Oh, no, sorry. sorry. Sully with the wolf. And that, you know what? This, this may be... <sighs> I don't know, 10, 20 years down the line or whatever. But one of the states that is having explosive population growth is Utah. And maybe the Salt Lake area in terms of prospects becomes like Phoenix, you know, where you're just you got a lot of people there and you're going to have a lot of prospects. And there's going to be players in that area, you know, for BYU's sake and for Utah's sake and for Utah State. As we talked about, the, the Beehive State had a phenomenal year of football. So Notre Dame, Marcus Freeman's uh, debut, they they took a big lead, then blew it to Oklahoma State, uh, came back, made it the game. 
I don't know we what you take out of a single game. Maybe more importantly, they got another really good recruit in the class of 2023 on that same January one, Peyton Bowen, defensive back in Texas. Uh, they have uh, the number one recruiting class in 2023 right now. I doubt it'll end up that way, but this is the best eight recruits like for an, this early and this this many kids. They've never they haven't been this good in a long, long, long time. Um, they're getting really good players. Uh, I think they have five top hundred players already. Remember we talked last time, like Alabama, Texas, these guys get 11 a, a year. Well, Notre Dame's already got like five. So um, Marcus Freeman's killing it. And that regard did not win his debut. Any thoughts on the Irish in that game? My thoughts, uh, no, you, I mean, you don't like put wholesale stock in one game. There were some phenomenal moments for Notre Dame when they were roaring out to a 28 to seven lead and then like ghastly cover your eyes moments uh, when they collapsed completely thereafter. He's a new coach, coached one game against the guy who's coached. I think the graphic said 208 for Mike Gundy. And yes, I think, I think there were probably some rookie coach moments where Marcus Freeman could have figured out or, or had some things to, to change uh, in the second half to stop the just tidal wave of momentum, but it might not have happened. It might not have worked. I watched Notre Dame in 1974 with Eric Parsegian, national two-time national championship coach, go up 24 to six on USC and lose 55 to 24. Stuff happens. Sometimes your team collapses on you, whether you are in your 11th year as a coach or your first game, but a couple of things. I just thought Oklahoma State wildly exploited one area of Notre Dame's secondary, like picked on one guy as badly as I've ever seen anybody pick on one cornerback and just exploit it to the hilt. And that's that's smart coaching. And I think maybe somebody who isn't the head coach while also trying to be have pretty be pretty hands-on with the defense might have been able to step back and say, hey, we got to make some changes. We got to alter some things here and maybe slowed that some of that bloodletting there at that position. But for the most part, look, Marcus Freeman, I think everybody's excited to see what he's going to do. Pete wrote a great uh, feature on who he is and why he's been a special guy. That doesn't mean that this, there's not going to be some growing pains and some learning things. And this might be the might have been the best time for Marcus Freeman just to have a learning experience is in a bowl game that, yes, it was a big game, but it didn't affect whether or not you could play for a national championship. This season is, again, we've talked about what bowl games mean and you learn from it and go forward. Yeah, I thought that it was, uh, you know, a debut of learning for 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 Marcus Freeman. And, and first of all, hats off to Oklahoma State. Like that's a that's a I mean, Mike Gundy called it the the best win in uh, in, in school history. And they had a, a remarkable season where they completely shifted their identity from what we've come Oklahoma State to be. And without their defensive coordinator, made unbelievable adjustments from getting smoked on basically the first four drives of the game to, to coming back and pretty much shutting Notre Dame down, not quite out, but down in in the second half. So tip of the cap to the mullet, um, who no longer has a mullet, but he's, uh, he's clearly, uh, he's clearly, you know, this isn't his first rodeo and, uh, they really strung together a, uh, a remarkably nice season. There are a lot of, a lot of bigger, older guys on that defense. And, uh, Jim Knowles certainly got paid off of uh, that jumping to uh, jumping to Ohio State from there. So, for, for Marcus Freeman, it I think it'd be naive to overreact to anything that that happened um, in in that game. I, I think that his role at Notre Dame is going to be a CEO, and he's going to run the thing. And I will be really curious to see how he can 
rev the engines of recruiting. Now, if they'd won this game, they really could have revved them. That They could have been an all-time, just sort of pedal to the metal. But they they got a commitment from a top 100 player the morning of that game, if, uh, if, if I remember right. And I really think that there's a great operation there in terms of infrastructure that Marcus Freeman is going to be able to build on. And look, it's also a little window into Brian Kelly didn't lose games that he shouldn't have lost. Like that was one of his hallmark skills as Notre Dame's coach. Brian Kelly is a favorite, especially these last five seasons was not infallible, but I would bet he wanted a 90% clip. And so, and that come that came with 200 plus games coached at Grand Valley. You know, he was, he made a lot, he's made a lot of sideline decisions. So, uh, Marcus Freeman's going to be fine. He's going to he's going to learn from it. But they, I th- I do think it was a little reminder of like the the last guy there probably might have figured out a way to, to to slam on the brakes a little bit there in the second half. It is the uh, it is the thing. Brian Kelly's a heck of a coach. So fans are very excited. All right, I have a final uh, before we go. We'll we'll do the national title game uh, later this week. I promise. Uh, obviously, um, I have a people's court for us. Oh, here we go people's court first uh, one of 2022 a, yes it is it is unfortunately this was a holdover crime from 2021 <laughs> okay patrick uh florence jr is a is a resident of say petersburg florida he was he was um he was arrested uh during a traffic stop in clearwater he was driving without his headlights on the police pulled him over about 4 a.m that'll do it um yeah. <laughs> not a good not a good idea uh, so they, they were searching the car and then they were searching him and they found, uh, cocaine and methamphetamine. I know shocking. Florida uh, man. Co- yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, they're wrapped. They were in packages. Let's see. How should we, we'll, we'll put the, the, the parental disclaimer on this at this point. It's not really that bad, but I mean, let's just say the packages were wrapped around his, uh, <laughs> anatomy. terrific yeah. anatomy. Anatomy, a part of his body. They were wrapped around a part of his body. That's where he was stashing, or, or the, the cocaine and methamphetamine was stashed. Uh, so the police, needless to say, arrested him. However, uh, I'm reading the uh, the police report here. Uh, during the search, uh, yeah, the uh, passenger's underwear wrapped. Yeah, okay, we got all that. It's baggy. Okay, uh, he said. Uh, he declared that the dr- the drugs were there, yes, but they were quote not his. They were not his. <laughs> uh, All righty. He said that there was the someone else's defense. It wasn't me. Wasn't me. Um, I have cocaine wrapped around my, but as he stated, the package wrapped around his uh, penis was not his. Um, Justice forty. Um. Do you believe, Patrick Florence, that uh, this was not his, or are you responsible for any and all items that are wrapped around that part of your body? <laughs> no, you know what? I I believe our man, because <laughs> who among us hasn't, you know, like arbitrary, <laughs> like you wake up and all of a sudden there are illegal drugs wrapped around your genitals. I mean, I, it's happened to me two or three times. I'm sure you guys probably a couple times, right? Crazy so, night. Sure. And I, I will say, I, Florida, <laughs> I have a little bit of a soft spot for people who will go to that sort of length to to smuggle something, uh, a Kentucky Derby trick that I know of to get alcohol in when it was harder to get alcohol in is to put alcohol, bags of alcohol, or even tape a bottle underneath 
the brazier of a woman. So if that's been used to get <laughs> booze into the derby, you know, I, I, I have to respect the hustle a little bit there. So I dismissed case dismissed. <laughs> Pat has gone soft on us in 2022. That is not the New Year's resolution. I thought, wow, <laughs> we I get know. empathetic Very understanding. Yeah. <laughs> empathetic Pat 40. Just <laughs> oh shucks. <laughs> um, yeah, I just don't I don't find that believable. I mean, you know, maybe maybe the NSA investigators who believe Will Wade would believe that, but other than that, I don't uh, I don't find a whole lot of people who would really uh who would really fall for uh our Florida man's uh shenanigans. So, I, I don't think that one's getting by uh by Justice Thamel. Uh we're not going we're not going soft on you in 2022 here. So, I would I would find the gentleman as guilty as he was found. Yeah, it's not like you left your coat. I checked my coat at a coat rack. I came back. I, you know, okay. I mean, this thing is with you at all times. <laughs> you have you sole you responsibility hope, yeah. for this this item. And other, than, getting, other than John Wayne Bobbitt, it is with you at all times. <laughs> okay. Poor there guy. You know. I, yeah. John Wayne Bobbitt would I would have simple sympathy for. Also, you generally, I would think, know when something is getting wrapped around this item. <laughs> uh, also, uh, I did not bring up, uh, seems old Patrick Florence had been arrested uh, nearly 20 times previously by Pinellas uh, County Sheriff's. Okay. Majority of which involved cocaine or crack cocaine charges. How many times are you going to get caught with <laughs> cocaine? They're <laughs> moving in on two dozen arrests. They have a problem. Yeah, maybe. Uh, also a DUI on this. And, uh, but anyway, I, I re- do respect just going down to the end. Well, not mine. <laughs> yeah, right. Don't know how it got there. Yeah. Not not his. Not his. Anyway, that's our that's our podcast. We'll start off with our first news for weird. Uh, People's Court has spoken. We'll be back Thursday uh, for the national title preview. And uh, please continue to share us on uh, social media. Tell your friends about us and subscribe and leave nice reviews and all of those things. We will talk to you later.